Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the transportation. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. If it's your first time tuning in, Employee of the Month is a weekly podcast where I um, interview people about their careers. And I can't think of a more prolific actor um, than John Turturro. And I am so excited to bring you this interview. We recorded it live a week after the election. And I, like so many people, were grieving and suffering from post-Trump stress disorder and still are. And there are some real harrowing issues. I'm terrified about health care because there are small ways that they take away all of these things and I wouldn't be alive without affordable care. And then there are so many other issues, be it immigration to education, abortion. I just like the list is so endless that it's painful. And in part because of that, in major part because of these very serious issues, I felt like when people would say art is important, it felt sort of pat. And I was like, no, 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 no. Basic health care and housing and, you know, nutrition, th- those are what's key in life, that people need to be able to eat and, and survive and jobs. And then I went on stage and realized, oh, yeah, you also need a salve. You need to have hope and fun And all of that is in this interview. And so you'll hear um, John speak to that at the end of the interview. But I just can't say, like, under any circumstances, this would be an unbelievably fun listen. And I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. You know John Turturro, an incredible actor and director. You know him from Barton Fink and so many Coen Brothers films as well, of course, Do the Right Thing and so many Spike Lee films, which he also helped write on, Adam Sandler films, and of course, I can't believe I forgot this, the Transformers series. Uh, I know that most of my listeners um, are huge Michael Bay fans. I chose to talk to um, John about other films um, in his career, which he rarely speaks about in interviews in major part because he's talked about all the other ones. Um, but I I just can't stay how fun this is. So I'm going to stop talking so you can start listening. Enjoy. I wanted to ask growing up in Queens and, and now that you're in Brooklyn, <laughs> did you aspire to be a model growing up? A model? Yeah. No. Well, because now you are. You're for rag and bone. I have uh, to... Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, these pants are rag and bone too. So yeah, yeah. Right. So I need the clothes. So do they? So do you? Why. So what's the deal? Do you just get free clothes for it? It sounds uh, awesome. I, I haven't actually done that yet, but yeah, I have a few uh, pieces of clothing from them. Yeah. Do you have a code you want to share with anyone? The friend and family code. A code. Code. You know, sometimes they have discount codes for VIPs. Uh, actually, I've asked my my older my sons, both of them, if they want to, you know go to the store, and they said no. Okay, said, well, they if you... Didn't like, they, they didn't like the style. So. If you want to adopt yeah. a third child, I am happy uh, to go okay, to the fine, store. sure. Oh, rag and bone, I'm coming. <laughs> For them. Yeah. And where... When, I just found this photo online. I was just curious. Oh, that's our... 
1991, I was uh, doing press for Barton Fink, and I was playing. Uh, I was playing at CSC. I was doing the uh, Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui. Wow. So I was playing sort of the situation that we're in now. So uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's why I have the mustache over there. That was in front of my old house in Park Slope. It's fantastic. You're you are furry. I was going to ask the question. <laughs> You're a little furry. Yeah. I was going to ask, what do you see as the difference? Because you've married Jewish, now you have Jewish Italian kids. What uh -huh. is the, what is the difference you see between Jews and Italians? <laughs> Psychiatry. It's psychiatry and, and, and belief in doctors. Wow. How do you feel about that? Well, I'm Italian, so we don't really believe in doctors. So, uh, yeah. We're very superstitious. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's the only difference, actually. Yeah. That, that, that's really, really it. We, we kind of have our own therapy sessions, uh, and you actually pay for them. Right. It's different. So, that's, uh, um, so uh, <laughs> that's it. That's the only difference. <laughs> but no, because it has a similar levels of denial, love of food. Yeah, I mean, yeah, guilt. And talking and guilt. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was very sort of exotic, you know, uh, at a certain time. It was, it was yeah. considered a big. I oh, guess huge. It still is, an intermarriage for some people. Yeah. You know, um, well, between Irish and Italian and Italian and Jews and yeah, yeah. Right, but I, I mean, uh, you know, if you're Hasidic, it would definitely be an intermarriage. Even bigger. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the only difference, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, grew up in a very, you know, mixed place. So. Yeah, yeah in Queens, you grew up in. Well, a I actually grew up in Hollis first. Oh. Yeah, it was a really it was an all black neighborhood. In and, Hollis. Yeah, in Hollis, and then I moved to. Uh, to Rosedale. I was born in Brooklyn, but, but I, I grew up in Hollis. And then we moved to Rosedale, which was mostly Italian, Irish, and some Jewish people. Yeah. Um, why did you guys move from Brooklyn? To uh, my mother had a fight with my father. And uh, uh, she said she was going to leave him unless uh, he bought her a house. Nice. Uh, they had a terrible fight about okay. something. And uh, she, her mother's name was Rose, and she saw a place called Rosedale. And she picked a house. And, and <laughs> that's how it happened. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a true story. It's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. and that's how we wound up in Rosedale. And uh, I never liked Rosedale that much. I, I liked where I grew up in Hollis uh, better. How old were you when you had to move? Uh, six, but I was very dark, and everyone thought I was Puerto Rican. Uh. So, uh, and so it was fine with me. Uh, but I, I missed my neighborhood a lot. And I, eventually I made some friends there. Uh, and uh, and then I got bussed out uh, in junior high school wow. to an all-black junior high school. <laughs> I got bussed out, and that was when uh, that was when that record came out. Uh, I'm black and I'm proud. Say it loud, James Brown. And uh, that's actually the year of the Afro comb that wow. came out. And I remember that. Uh, and my hair went from being kind of silky wavy to the way it is now. You had a Jufro back then. Even. No, I, my hair started changing, and all the black girls would like braid my hair and stuff. And, <laughs> Uh, but James Brown was really like, you know, he was sort of the soundtrack of, of yeah. my young life, really. 
Did um, because your family, you had so many musicians in your family, right? Uh, your my uncles were both musicians. She has my mother on your was mom's a side. Yeah, yeah. So did you feel like you wanted to grow up and be one as well? No, because they were always getting running around, uh, getting remarried, and leaving families behind. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, but my father's family were all builders, but they were very theatrical and uh, they were very big personalities. And uh, so I was around a lot of uh, expression and some of them were painters uh, oh, wow. too. So I was around a lot of crazy people. I mean, really, it's true. And a matter of fact, a lot of my friends would come over our house for entertainment. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Just to hear your but dad's when things got out of when things got out of hand and we were in the basement playing, sometimes they were afraid like to leave, you know. Be uh, because of the yelling. Uh it was more than that. It was pretty, okay. you know. My mother wasn't that way, but my father's family was more that way. Yeah, my mother's family was much more ironic, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, but it was yeah. I was surrounded by a lot of music. Okay. And a lot of. Uh, you know, people ex expressing themselves I'm in getting, all different ways. I'm getting a picture of, like, plates being thrown and things uh, like that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the first time I brought my wife over to my house... Who you she, met in college. Uh, I, I met, you know, when, Yale, when I went to graduate school, you know, my, my parents were doing their whole honeymooners routine, and my brother would come up from the basement, and, you know, there'd be smoke, and, and she, like, she just broke down. She, like, she, she broke down. She started crying at, at her dinner table. <laughs> And my mother said, listen, you know, if you stay with John, you know, you'll either get used to it or you'll run, you know. And, but it was really like a great, you know, my kitchen was like an acting class between my mother and my father. It was like nothing was ever missed. There wasn't a beat that was missed, ever. That's amazing. Ever. <laughs> like eyebrow would go up and my father would say, what's that? What? <laughs> what's that look? You know? And my mother would just, you know, go, you, you know what that look is. <laughs> That's, you, you don't like me, do you? you know? No, I don't like you. You, know? you shouldn't have married me. You know what I mean? It would go on. You know, like, but then they never leave each other. Uh, well, in those days, you know, divorce was a, a catastrophic yeah. thing in those days. A lot of women stayed with men. They were abused. They, they didn't like, you know, like them, and they stayed with them. You know, they didn't have... Also, it was expensive to do that. Yeah. I, I used to always think, you know, my, why are they married? I mean, even though they had, like, a hot relationship in a way. But... Uh, they did, you know, fight a lot. But uh, a lot of women stayed with, with, you know, because of the kids and stuff. Yeah. In that generation. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, my mom would gather with all her girlfriends when I was really young. I remember, like, being five years old and I was in my PJs. And I would always crawl and listen to them, you know, huddling together and talking about what was going on, you know, between them. And I knew, like, you know, they're the people who were holding it all together. Yeah. And they were. They were, absolutely. And I think it really kind of marked me in a way. You know, I was... How? You know, I just saw, you know, my mother as a person, not as my mother, I think. And uh, I became, you know, we, we were very close friends. And, uh, and, I, and a lot of her friends, I was very interested, you know, in them. Yeah. A lot of them all outlived their husbands, by the way. All the husbands died eventually. Uh, and I was going to make a documentary about uh, one Jewish woman, a black woman, a German yeah. woman, my mother, but all these women who outlived their husbands, you know, and maybe there was a reason for it. Uh, uh, but uh, I was just always interested in, you know, what they were going through, yeah. 
you know, and it was just a different time. Did it impact your relationship with your wife? You guys? No, have been it together? impacted my relationship with with women in general. Just, okay. I just, I just think you either see someone as a full person or just as your mother or whatever, and I think it, it affected, you know, what, you know, when I read those Elena Ferrante books, it reminded yeah. me a lot of, you know, my mother and her friends. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm, I think. It's, it's a real education for a man to understand, you know, what goes on inside of, you know, a woman, what a woman goes through. So, yeah. Speaking of education, you got a full scholarship to Yale. That was, um, that was after I, was, I went to SUNY New Paltz. After yeah. SUNY New Paltz. Yeah. And you had all these mentors at, at both schools. I was wondering, right. do you mentor young people now? I've, I've done it. You know, I've been a guest artist at New School. Uh, I've, you know, I've done, like, you know, master classes and things like that. I think I would like to do something because uh, I've visited, I've worked in prisons and stuff like that. I'd yeah. like to do something with people who really don't get the opportunity yeah. to do that. Uh, uh, and I think that's kind of really important. So I'm, I'm interested in that. And uh, I've done some stuff about, I've, as you know, the criminal justice system. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in that because I do think people really need the opportunity. Yeah. There's and, actually an, yeah. a prison theater program. I know, I know. There yeah. was one in Sing Sing. And yeah. In fact, uh, I just saw this amazing documentary because I just shot my last film. Yeah. Uh, uh, up there for a few days. So yeah, I like prisons. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think it's not not that I like it, but I I find something, you know, very depressing about it, and I and I find something like, I don't know. I just it it, it kind of just hits me in a certain way, you know? And I see don't. all these people that didn't get an opportunity. Yes, And they're incarcerated, and you go like, wow, they really needed an education, you know? A lot of them yes. never had an education. Oh, totally. And there's so, no rehabilitation uh, yeah. in the prison. Well, there's some. There's, there is there, some? There are some, yes. And Sing Sing actually has a whole college program. They have a theater program. Oh, that's know? great. But a lot of times, they've done something really bad, you know, and they, they won't get paroled, you know? And that's, that's a shame. So, uh, so I think maybe that's where I'm gonna, you know, wind up doing that. Prison is a great segue. You've done so many films, but I wanted to talk about Quiz Show. Oh, Quiz Show. I found the original, the Peter Semple, the, the, uh, the real one. Sorry, oh, Herb Semple. I just made Herb into a wasp. I just <laughs> combined him. Um, yeah, I wanted to show the original one and then you performing. Oh, wow. So I, I watched have... that, I watched that, you know, those kinescopes like endlessly. I love that. A a endlessly, I watch those. They, are you going to show the show? Yeah. Oh, fine. Yeah, my godfather was on that, and he won. As oh, wow. Your time is up, Herb Semple, for five points, which would give you 21. What motion picture won the Academy Award for 1955? Sure, it's not out of the waterfront, but it's my film, I remember. Uh, I don't remember, I don't remember. I don't remember. You really want to take a guess at it? If not, I'll have to on, call it wrong, Herb. On the waterfront? No, I'm sorry, the answer is Marty. Marty. You lose five points, it puts you back down to 11. Better luck on the next round. Jared Hall. The way you played him is so warm, and we can show that clip first, but I was just curious before we did, like, how much did you watch these before I, you... I watched everything. There was a, tons of footage. Actually, Herb's voice sounds much lower there than the way he 
normally uh, spoke. Uh, How uh, does he normally speak? He's a little higher, you know, when he speaks like that. You know, you, I mean, he spoke in a much, I have a cold right now, but a much higher register, you know. Uh, he had a very unique way of speaking, but yeah, I watched that and I, I got to know him too. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, he was a very interesting guy. He wound up working for the city of New York, testifying, you know, on street corners when there's a broken uh, uh, traffic light or oh, whatever. Oh, he's he, that person? He's that person, yeah. My and he, friend and he that had person like a somewhere. photographic memory about everything. And, but he was very, very naive. Yes. Uh, very naive. And uh, so, yeah, I had a lot of time to prepare because... Robert Redford couldn't make up his mind about the other actors in the film, and it gave me a lot of time to gain weight for the movie. I, yeah, I wanted to I ask... I gained a lot of weight. I gained like 35 pounds. That sounds fun. It wasn't fun. It, it was not fun. fun. It was a job. It okay. was a job, but I had never been fat, so I had no fat cells. So, okay. Uh, but Robert Redford, you know, he was like, you can do it, you know, and, and I liked him. It's very persuasive and handsome director, so. Uh, You've had him and Paul Newman. Yeah, both of them I had. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. He's quite an interesting guy, Robert Redford. Yes. He's, he's really like how, an how eccentric man who masquerades as this kind of, you know, leading man, you know. Uh, we really got along uh, tremendously well. I, I was shocked at how well we got along. Why were you shocked that? Because every director loves you. I don't know, I just didn't, you. I never thought, you know, he always thought of him as a all-American guy, and he was, he was really wonderful with, uh, with me, and, uh, and uh, I, I had, it was a great experience. Let's show the clip of you in it. Mm -hmm. There, there's the lip biting. Yeah, you see. Finally, I was told to uh, open my eyes and with a dazzling smile, give the answer and explode when Jack Barry says, that is right. That is right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where he got it all. Some article on math psychology he read in Esquire. <laughs> it was a funny story that uh, <laughs> when I, I, you know, I gained all this weight. I had my hair thinned. My teeth were all discolored. And some guy came on the set. He told Robert Redford behind my back, you know, he said, hey, John, I, it was some well-known actor, I forget who it was, and he said, well, you know, boy, John really let himself go, didn't he, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Redford was so proud, he was like, oh, John, he actually believes, like, you know, <laughs> you've got bad teeth, and I was like, okay, you know, fine, you know, that was fine, but uh, it was a lot of fun, actually, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a good experience. So I know that, I. I being an extra in Raging Bull was, I think, your first yeah. first movie. Um, I, I was. I've been at one line. I said, "Hey, Jake." There, so. I have these. <laughs> I, but I was listening to your uh, your brother, your younger brother, talk about how he was like fighting over to get to sit next to them at this place. Yeah, we, we, then I got an audition with my friend Michael Bataluco, and we we did get an audition to be interviewed because we were in this off off Broadway showcase of Tooth of Crime. Yeah. And, uh, and then I was on, and then my friend, we, we, we would alternate. And uh, anyway, he saw us both, and uh, De Niro, and then he asked us to come in, and we had prepared a scene from the book, but they had no script, but I had, I had the book. 
because my father he was a prize fighter. So I had all these boxing books. And so we prepared the scene and, uh, you know, Scorsese and De Niro were in this room and I had never gone on a professional audition. Yeah. And we, we were dressed like in 1940s jackets, little jackets. And, and Scorsese was like, well, you know, we don't have a script. We don't have a script. You know, I don't understand. How, 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 you know, you know, how are you going to do a scene? You know, there's no script. You know, I'm saying, you know, and De Niro was like, oh, you know, let them do it. You know, let them do it. You know? and, then, and, you know, he was like, you know, so we, we moved this table around. And all four of us had to move the table. And we did this scene. And uh, they were like really... We, I guess we had balls, you know, to do it. Yeah. And it was pretty good. It was like an on-the-waterfront scene between the two guys. And then they called us back for like a year. We kept getting <laughs> callbacks. Yes. And then, I didn't know, you know, you go to an audition. We, we used to be at his apartment where he lived Which in Midtown. Mar uh, Marty Scorsese. And so my mother would say, like, you got to go to audition. You know, you, you can't just go, you know, you go over somebody's house. You got to bring something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh... So we brought, like, I brought pastries, you know what I mean? You know, from, like, Rocco's, you know, in Little Italy. And I was like, you know, or, or a little, some cookies and stuff like that. And, I mean, this went on, like, for a year, you know. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, you know, it's funny because I've worked with them both and I've worked with Bob a lot now and I know him pretty well. And, but it was just this weird situation, you know. And then eventually we got, like, one line each, you know, we were too young, really, yeah. for the parts they kept, you know, uh, making us read for. But uh, it was just, you know, it was just. I was so nervous. I remember. I was How could you so not nervous. be? <laughs> and I remember him having my tie changed. The Nero thought my tie wasn't right, and you know, and that's just, you know, and he's never changed. He's always that way. You know? He's still and telling plus he's you. He's directed me. Now I've worked with him, you know, as an actor, and he directed me. And you know, to be, when he directs you, it's like, he has, he has his own process. You know, it's like, you do 40 takes, and like wow. you're chewing gum. And you know, it's like, you say, hey, you know, you want, the, you want the board? That's the line, you want the board? And I'd be chewing gum, you want the board? And I do it. And then after 40 takes, he comes over, he says, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, were you, were you chewing gum? I said, Bob, I've been chewing gum for 40 takes. <laughs> and then he mimes himself chewing your gum. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I, was like, you know, I told him, I said, you know, you're... You, you have OCD. I said, you know that. I said, because OCD runs in my family. I said, and you have it bad, you know. I said, I'll do it. I said, just for you. But, you know, I said, I'll not chew the gum if you don't want me to. No, no, no. You chew it. You should chew it. I said, I've been chewing it. I've been chewing it 40 takes. I said, and when you're in the editing room, you're going to see every take, I chewed the gum. You have to tell me, you want me to chew the gum? And, no, no. Just, anyway, I love the guy, but... Uh, uh, Anyway, that's, you know, he was, oh, I would, I would die laughing sometimes. I would just die laughing. You know, uh, and I love him. I really love the guy. And, uh, but, uh, but he's a really terrific person on, on, on many, many levels. And he, he's, you know, always there. And he's been very supportive of me. And so it's a, it meant, you know, means a lot to you. These are people who were, you know, you're, someone inspired you, 
you know, yeah. And, and you're, you're like, you know, the hero of yours in a way. And uh, it's been really, you know, lovely to get to know some of these people and work with them. When you were first starting out, though, and I'm thinking um, before Five Corners, the movie in, uh, in L.A. To live and die in L.A. Yeah. yeah. I mean, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have directors who break you down emotionally or physically? Just cause it's, well, in the, in the 80s, you know, a lot of directors took cocaine. Okay. And they hit you, too. <laughs> like, physically, like Billy Freakin did, Michael Cimino did, and yeah, I didn't know. You know, I, I come from theater. You know, people didn't get smacked or slapped or... Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe this is how they make movies. I, I don't know. I said, but I don't like it. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not the kind of actor who, I, I like gentle people who push you, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, uh, thank you. Like Robert Redford, you know, he would uh, uh, hug me a lot. So, <laughs> uh, but I didn't know that. And I, I, learned to, I learned to stand up for myself after, you know, surviving both of them. Uh, These were your and, first two films, Yeah, though. and then when I did Five Corners, I was, you know, I said, listen, if I don't like something, I would just say, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I, I would like to try it a different way. But these were old school, different guys. And, uh, it's just so it, scary when, like, you're trying to make money and, like, you don't know, you know what I mean? Actors are like afraid to be fired. Actors won't challenge people because they don't want to be fired. And, uh, but Billy Freakin, he was really, he was really erratic, you know, and you know, didn't know what he was going to do to you. And all of us in this movie were all young actors. And, and Chimino was like that too. I mean, you know, he liked me, but, uh, <laughs> but you could get hit like before any scene, like someone would smack you. And even if it was a scene that we were just going out for coffee, talking. you know, he, she would, he would say, slap John in the face before the scene. <laughs> you know, and uh, it didn't really do anything for me except get my face red. And uh, but you know, you then eventually you say, well, this is not right. You know, yeah. and uh, but people have been abused making movies. You know, and movie making can be very. It's like going to the doctor's office sometimes. No, that doesn't sound like going to the doctor's yeah. office. It's like going to the dentist. <laughs> you know, because uh, it can be very <laughs> no. sterile. <laughs> It can be a very sterile and cold experience because there's all these different departments and, you know, if you come in and you, you don't work every day, you don't know everybody. Right. And you have to learn really to make friends with the crew and with the camera. And, and then there were people who helped me along the way. Sometimes cinematographers would say, yeah. you know, you don't need to do that much. You, your rehearsal was fine. Robbie Mueller was a great cinematographer. He, he was very uh, wonderful to me. And, uh, but, I, you know, you, you live and you, and you learn and... And you watch yourself, and you say, "Well, that was really bad." Yeah. You know, I was moving too much. Or you watch all, You watch the, the daily. Yeah, I would watch. You know, when I could, yes. And, yeah. uh, but when I did Five Corners, and you know, John Patrick Shanley wrote it for me, and and that, and that really, was with Jodie Foster and Tim Robbins. Right. And 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 we became very good friends, and, and that was after Jodie had gone through all those experience, that terrible experience that she had, and uh, that was really the first time I think I asserted myself on a movie set as an actor. And, uh, and then a lot of people saw me in that movie and I got other work. You know. yeah. yeah. We have a clip of it, but I'm, I'm thinking that we should, we should keep going unless you want to see a clip of it. No, I, I don't Do you want to see a clip I of don't yourself? need to see a clip of it. <laughs> I mean, I was younger, so I don't know. <laughs> we'll show one more clip from, the, from, from back in the day. But this was a huge breakout role after Danny and the Deep Blue Sea. And this scene that I took was with Jodie Foster when you're giving her a gift. 
Oh, the penguin? They, yeah, but you didn't have to. Yeah. Tell <laughs> so you like them because you like animals. Well, I do like them, but that ain't the point. Then, then you take them, then. I can't. I mean, it won't be right. They're like, they're like wild things, you know? They, they ain't like dogs or some shit. They, they belong in a zoo. A zoo, right? No? You don't want my present? No. say something <laughs> in this movie i kill the penguin and i also throw my mother out the window yeah you guys right <laughs> and people only talk about killing the penguin <laughs> so i just want to just say there's a lot to say about society you know what i mean no one ever talks about that i killed my mother i throw her out the window they go like you killed the penguin you know? it's amazing but with animals I didn't really kill the penguin. Your mom also wasn't very... She, she was living in a dream world. She wasn't as loving yeah, so, right, as the she penguin. She wasn't innocent like the penguin. Yeah. Right. Actually, the penguins are very vicious. Uh, uh, what, were the pe you had two penguins there. Were the, were the were, penguins... Yeah, they, were, they, 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 they bite you. Yeah, they have to be careful. Wow. Yeah. When you but you know, that's what people they worry about. Same thing with the night of. Everyone was about... You know, everything in the night of is like, what about the cat? They don't care if the guy's gonna like is guilty or not. The cat, is the cat okay? So you know, I'm. Is the cat fine? <laughs> I just, I guess that's people just go to animals. Well, it it is easier because they are more innocent gener I generally. Guess, generally, that's because they can't talk. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> Once they open that's their mouth. That's what my father used to say. If they could talk, you would know what they were thinking. What's really going you know? on? They um, talk a little bit, you know. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to talk about. The Night Of, um, yeah. which is the first television series you've ever starred in, and I'm so glad you are. It's on HBO. Um, and it's a great look into how the justice system is about whether proving someone is innocent versus whether someone is innocent because all of us have guilt and is innocence, and it depends on how you tell the story. But I wanted to talk about one other very gripping issue in it is the guy who, who I wrote it or directed did, did Schindler's List. Steve Zalian. He's okay. the co-writer and the director. And Richard Price is the other writer. Was it them or you who came up with this, like, disgusting foot issue? Because it has, like... I'm, like, now when I see people with sandals on, I get, like, so grossed out. Like, <laughs> who, who came up with the, the, the <laughs> weird... It was originally in the BBC okay. series because the writer suffered severely from eczema. Okay, we'll blame and it on the British. People, yes. Well, Dennis Potter, had, you know, he suffered from a, a really severe skin disease, too. Uh, and it's really terrible because yeah. people go out of there. They just invented, they just come up with a new pill that they, they have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, faith in that they think can really can help people. Because people go out of their minds. They want to kill themselves. I mean, people are really suicidal. With because it. it's so painful. It's just, it, yes, you can't sleep. Ugh. You can't, you know. And yeah. so uh, I thought it was a great touch because he, you know, in a way the, the character's like Lazarus, you know, in a way he's got all this 
the sins of the world are on, on his body, you know. And, and, he, and some people, they, you know, comes out in their stomach, comes out in their yeah. skin or whatever. And I, I, I thought it was really kind of essential to the piece. But that was in the script. And my makeup artist did an amazing yeah. Amazing job. He was like Lucian Freud. What you just said yeah. was uh, very poignant for me as a Lazarus. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the feet really, really stuck with me. So is, is it a medicine that doesn't affect their liver? I just want to make sure to help people instead of like. Uh, they don't know what the side effects are of the new medicine that they've come oh. up with, but they feel like it could be a miracle drug because all those things that I did in the movie, people do do. They do okay. all kind. They try everything. Yeah. And uh, you know. Stress can cause it, and uh, if you have it, you know, you can really, you don't sleep sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure, because it yeah, so, looks really painful. Yeah. You took over the film from James Gandolfini right after he passed away. You've directed him in your own films. I have that picture of, you, of the, the two of you together. I, I wanted to hear about working with him, specifically like in Romance well, and Cigarettes when you directed him. I, loved, I knew James for, since the early 90s, because he was in a play with my cousin, Aida. And then in a movie, and then the series, and I, the Sopranos. Uh, yeah, and uh, I loved James. I, I worked with him. I thought he did an amazing job on my film. It didn't get wide distribution because we got stuck in a merger. Uh, United Artists got bought, uh, but uh, he was a really unique guy. Uh, it was very complicated. Very, you know, uh, he had a lot of dark side to him. But he had a huge, huge humanity and heart, and I really loved him, and I wanted to work with him, you know, again. And I was, like many people, really brokenhearted when he when he passed yeah. away. And uh, when they came to me a couple of years later and they said Jimmy had done it, I didn't know how much he had done. I felt very like I, I was not interested at first. And then I looked at the pilot, and he was barely in it. Uh, he was only in one scene. Yeah. So it was very arresting his image. And then I read everything, and I thought. I talked to his wife, I talked to his manager, uh, and I, they said, you know, if you, we want you to do it, and, and, I, and I loved the part. And then I did think of him a lot when I did it. Not how he would have done it. I yeah. know he would have never wanted to do all that makeup because he hated makeup. You mean on your feet? He, yeah, he hated makeup, you know. I, he would never have stood for it. Uh, but I did want to do, you know, a good job for all the people involved and also for Jimmy. But he was really... I have to say, a unique actor, a unique person, because he had something that was, you know, I edited him, I was in a room looking at what he did for me for like a year, and it was like, it was just the humanity of the guy was just, uh, was huge, it was yeah. really huge, and uh, uh, he was a very generous person, and uh, he, was a, he had a real delicacy to him. You know, one time I said about him, I said, because he has two sisters. I said, well, I don't consider James like a macho Italian guy. I said, he's really just the kind of heavyset Italian woman, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he, his friends were having brunch in, on the Jersey Shore. And he called me up because, did you say I was a fat Italian woman? <laughs> I said, James, it was a compliment. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to kill you, Totoro. Yeah. <laughs> like, he loved his He really guns. had this, yeah. this, this delicacy to him. And I'll tell you one thing. He was fantastic with every woman actress he worked with. He had tremendous chemistry because he was not vain and he was just a sexy bastard because he put his attention on the other person. Yeah. And so every woman in the movie, didn't matter what the role was, there was like something going on. And you were like, 
there it goes again. You go, every yeah. time. Yeah. It never, and he wasn't even like being, you know, trying. He just put his attention on the other person. And he was very, very real appealing, you know. He's a beautiful person, you know. Speaking of sexy bastards, you're um, taking your character from the Big Lebowski, Jesus, um, and combines him with a play that you first worked on at The Public, right? Uh, well, the, 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 the inspiration for the character was a play I did next door called La Puta Vida by Ronaldo Pravad, and they saw me in that, and that gave them the idea to write something like uh, uh, The Jesus. And it's um, Going Places? Going Places is based on a book and an old French classic film called, I'm going to say it wrong, uh, Les Valsus, uh, meaning the waltzers. Okay. And it's also slang for the testicles. Yeah. Uh, and it was the movie that made uh, Gerard Depardieu and Patrick Dewaire uh, into big stars. It was yeah. with Miu Miu and Jean Moreau and yeah. Isabelle Huppert, who was our first part. Uh, and uh, it's... The is movie is very different, my version, because it's a, a different time. But it's a really transgressive uh, road film sex farce. Uh, did you did you cast Audrey Tattoo because of Jean Moreau and is it, is No, it no. Uh, Susan Sarandon is playing the Jean Moreau character. Okay. Or Audrey, you know, is playing uh, the all the characters are older. It's Bobby Carnavale, me, Wait, and Audrey. Audrey's forty years old. What do yeah. you mean older? Well, older because originally the movie was about people in their 20s. Oh, okay. And I asked Blier, I said, could I do it with older people? He says, as long as they're stuck in their adolescence and have never grown up. And I said, well, that's true. You know, <laughs> there are lots of people like that. And uh, it was a movie that blew my mind. And I think influenced when I did uh, Romance and Cigarettes in some ways. Uh, and so he gave me the rights to it. And, uh, and then I was playing around with it. And the character's name is Jean-Claude. And I would kept calling him JC. And then one day I said, you know, this reminds me of, I could maybe play with this character that I had done in, on stage. And I said, well, maybe the Jesus could work. And it just yeah. seemed to like work perfectly. And I showed it to the Coen brothers. And they were like, this is perfect. This is a character that we stole from you. And then you want to put him in a French remake <laughs> of a road movie that was inspired by you know, American road movies. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's a crazy movie, but it's it's a movie that's uh, it's about freedom. That's what it's about. Well, I, we have a couple stills from it. This is you with your cornrows and your your hair yeah. netting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, your yes. cuticles are so nice. Do you clip them in the My next picture? Cuticles. You have really nice I, nails. Do you do you clip or do you have them pushed down? I, I just. Cut my nails okay. like a regular guy. Very nice nail. Bobby Cannavale couldn't believe that. He kept saying, you don't do your nails? Bro, you don't you do your nails? Bro, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, Bobby, no, I don't do my nails. I, I don't go to a manicure. Does Bobby like, go to a manicure? Yeah, of course he does. Oh, my God. He's like, yeah, forget it, you know. We have some nice sex scenes, me and him, but he doesn't, he's very nervous. Very nervous. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. We have to do a scene where we're both Audrey is with us, and we're having, he's, he can't, anyway, it's a long story, he can't get an erection, he gets an erection, he's having sex with her, and then he, he finishes fast, and I say, okay, I'm gonna go now, watch me, you know what I mean? So then, Audrey, we're on top of Audrey in the scene, but you don't see Audrey, we just see Bobby's ass and her legs, and you see my ass, and, and so Bob, so I got on top of the pillow, which was on, on top of her crotch, and Bobby goes, 
and we, we have no clothes on, me and Bobby. So Bobby goes, you're on the same pillow as my pillow. <laughs> I said, Bobby, I said, yeah. But nothing's really coming out except sweat. I said, there's no, you know, there's no fluids coming out, you know? He says, yeah, but your junk is on my pillow. So, and we've been friends forever, right? And I figured, you know, Bobby's free, he's whatever. I said, Bobby, okay, I'll tell you what. One side of the pillow I write, Bobby. And then when I get on, I say, Gorgeous, you flip it and it says, Jock. Does that make you feel better? He goes, yeah. Yeah, bro, yeah. You got to so that, give what him I, that's that what pillow. Because, you know, sex scenes are a whole other thing. When you do sex scenes with people, you have to figure out. It's not, it's not you know, like what you show, what you don't show. And, but, yeah, so that pillow went back and forth. We were laughing all day. And now you know. Was Audrey was laughing? Even, Audrey was dying laughing. Okay, good. She was flipping the pillow. She was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> I said, nothing's coming out. I said, you know, we're, we're just fucking faking it, you know? We're like, we're just doing aerobics. It's like Pilates, you know? But, um, I mean, sex scenes are, you know, there are... I, I talk about Jimmy uh, Gandolfini. He had to do a sex scene with Kate Winslet in yes, the first movie. In, ro in Romance and, Ro and Cigarettes. And, you know, the idea was that Kate destroys him and he can't you know you know he can't keep up with her and she was supposed to be sitting on him this way and he's that way she's facing out and we had a robert longo painting where we had a, a crane pull out from from the painting and her head comes up and she's saying all this stuff and when i saw them together i was like you know i don't like this because you see too much yeah you can't imagine anything and i said you know what i'm gonna do I'm going to take him out of the frame. I said, I want to put you on a big bouncy ball. On one of the aerobics yeah, balls. Yeah, aerob And I had the two uh, prop men hold her feet, you know, so she wouldn't bounce off the thing. Right. Come up. And she was saying all this stuff and had one. And she's on this fucking ball doing this thing. And she was saying all kinds of stuff, you know. And it was, you know, hilarious. She'd just and given birth before she, she did this. She'd just given birth. But then she slid off on one of the takes. And she slid off, and I had the prop, because I knew they were going to laugh. I had, like, towels in their mouth. And she's, her, she, and she's she just landed, on top. Her butt landed on the guy's head, on the prop guy's head. And I never yelled cut. I was like, I wanted to see if he would die, actually. Yeah. I was like, it's prop dream. man dies under, that's a perfect death. Uh, 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 <laughs> and uh, in my opinion. Uh, and, and so then the problem was, when James had to do this scene, I was like, how the hell am I going to, connect them, you know, because they had the camera on James, and James saw what Kate did, and he was doing all these things, so I took her wig off, and where the frame of the camera was, and James is going, oh, you know, and I was throwing the wig <laughs> in front of the camera like this, and James is going like this, and you know, you watch the scene, it's fantastic, but you yeah. never see them together. Yeah, having, actually having actually sex. Actually having sex, and they were both very free from that, and, uh, and she just she was so funny. We were crying, laughing, how funny she was. Because she kept saying, you can do it. You can do it. Come on, baby. You know? <laughs> and, she was and you know, it's, it's, that's a better way to do sex scenes, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna Maybe it's a better way to have sex in general. In general, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. I was like, I think I'm going to yeah. try that at home tonight yeah, with a bouncy you know, ball. It was really ingenious. And I, you know, to this day, I see her sliding off that ball onto my friend's head. And I was like... <laughs> this, is, this is why I make movies. I said, this is the reason 
that's it. That's, you know. Well, I'm so grateful you came out because I know you've been filming all day. Okay. I got you um, this book, The Dolce Vida Confidential, oh, which is just out on film. Thank you very much. Um, a bunch of albums because I know how much you love music. You've even, wow. even done documentaries. I am a record player. I know you have vinyl. Yeah. I hope you continue to have... This is from the Park Slope Co-op, which I understand your wife does your shifts. Not anymore. Oh, do you have to come back and do Did you get busted after the Wall Street Journal article in which you revealed that your wife is a member and you didn't reveal that that no, means you she, are too? No, she went to NYU. She's studying social work. <laughs> so she can't work in a co-op any longer. Oh, so now you got to do That was your... our deal. That was our deal. Yes. Um, well, I hope you continue to have a fertile career. What is that? This is a candle I bought at the Park Slope Co-op. And now that you're doing her shifts and yours, you can, you can get one too. Um, and we got you some stuff from Russ and Daughters. <laughs> Don't you like the breasts on it? Yep. <laughs> it's not Audrey Tattoo, that's what I will tell you. Totu, Totu. Totu, thank totu. you. It is um, definitely a spiritual candle. Beeswax. You know what? Okay. And some delicious things from Italy, as well as from Russ and Daughters um, in here too, but you can take, take home and a notebook because I want you to continue to write. Um, you've done so many phenomenal films. And uh, oh, one last question. Do you consider like acting your day job now and like directing as your, your main thing or you love doing both equally? I like doing both of them. It's interesting. Yes. I okay. like doing both. Which is why you I don't want to be a politician. But I, uh, okay. <laughs> but I, I like doing both. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm, I hope I'm happy to hear people laughing tonight because I needed to laugh a little bit. Good. So, yeah, so. Piece of faith. You are a beautiful human being. I'm so grateful that you're Thank here. You. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank a real mensch. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Alex Siner for editing it together, and thanks to all of you. If you enjoyed it, please come to a live taping when you're in New York. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out how to get tickets. 